You're listening to the Mining and Energy Union podcast. Yes, you are. Thanks for listening. I'm Tim Brunero. Well, if you work at a power station, you'll have been watching the TV news pretty closely these last few weeks. Australia's east coast is bracing for a winter power crisis, with millions facing the threat of blackouts. People in New South Wales are being urged to conserve energy tonight if it's safe to do so. The system is under pressure. Here in Queensland tonight, the regulator is forecasting a minor shortage between 5pm and 10.30. It's quite tight. We have less than three quarters of Victoria's generating capacity online right now. Nobody should turn off any heating or any anything which, which they are using or necessary. Chris Barnes aged 20 years in three weeks because he doesn't know what to do. Anything which is superfluous um, isn't necessary. Members who work in the energy industry are understandably concerned about recent reports of blackouts and of power stations shutting down early. Probably the main thing is the youth in our town. You try and keep the youth in your town. That's where your future comes from. You've got no youth in town, you end up as a retirement village stop thing, you know. So firstly, what's driving the problems in the energy sector? Why are we talking about blackouts in the eastern states? Well, General President Tony Ma points to past policies. 25 years of state governments flogging off publicly owned assets like power stations and poles and wires hasn't helped. Instead of power stations owned by all Australians, which got on with making power, now they've got private management who want to turn off the turbines every five minutes when they're not making enough profit. They want to game the system. When everything was owned by the state governments, there was no gaming. They supplied energy when it was required and they planned for new capacity 20 years ahead of time. Under the private sector system, there's a market that they sell power in five-minute lots depending on the price. And if the price isn't enough to make profit, they don't supply it. And that's what's been happening. And it exacerbates an already difficult situation because of planned maintenance, but also unplanned outages. So the profit motive is the problem and the threat to energy security and the potential for blackouts. So it's just a disgrace uh, that uh, uh, companies are allowed to get away with this. And of course, the market operator has stepped in to try and stop it. But of course, they're gonna get richly compensated that market intervention too, so they win both ways. Yes, the private power station owners will be richly compensated. Even if they have to game the system playing chicken with ordinary Aussies, heaters, fridges and cooktops to do it. But what else has caused these issues? Well, the Morrison-Turnbull and Abbott government's failure to deliver a national energy policy to give power producers certainty so they could make sound investment decisions hasn't helped. And their failure to shore up the energy grid by building more poles and wires to deal with the influx of renewables hasn't helped either. But there's another problem. Weak government's failure to force the gas industry to reserve gas for the people who own it, Australians. Yeah, look, ever since the 1970s, when WA opened its uh, northwest shelf gas reserves, they insisted on a 15% domestic gas reservation that which basically told the companies a condition of the licence to exploit these reserves is that you have to save 15% of what you produce for Western Australian customers, both businesses and consumers. That has served them very well. 
The price of gas at the moment on the west coast is about $5 a gigajoule and uh, on, the, on the east coast it's about $40 because 10 or 15 years ago Australia um, on the east coast opened up significant uh, gas reserves uh, in Queensland and New South Wales and didn't have a gas reservation policy, refused to and that's coming home to roost now. So they're making a fortune, particularly because of the Ukraine-Russia war, where people aren't buying Russian gas anymore, the price has gone through the roof. So they're making mega profits and uh, refusing to supply the domestic industry. And so the price is up. And that high price is threatening the jobs of tens of thousands of workers in the manufacturing industry. Because gas isn't just used for heating, it's used as a feedstock to produce things in manufacturing. So it is a crisis that could have been avoided. If you wanted to avoid it, you'd do what West Australia has done. We'll get to WA in a second, but before we do that, the big question is, what happens to communities which are most affected by power station closures? Whoever owns these assets, there's a responsibility to deal with the costs associated with looking after workers in terms of alternative jobs and looking after host communities in terms of economic diversification. And uh, they can't escape that. So we've made that point very clear. Uh, It's not only a government responsibility. But will the Albanese government ensure a just transition for power station workers and their communities? Well, at least with the Labor government, you can get in the door and and talk to them. I tried hard when uh, Hazelwood was closing uh, to drive some sense into the coalition government. And they just said, we don't interfere in the Labor market. Um, We're not interested in any of that stuff about transition or finding jobs for people. It's not our responsibility. You get your redundancy check, that's it. Obligation over. So that was their attitude. So we don't know what we're going to get out of a Labor government, but um, at least we'll get in the door and have a good chance of uh, finding a scheme about uh, that doesn't leave people behind. I mean, that was said by in in the election campaign many times that uh, Labor doesn't want to hold anyone back or leave anyone behind. So we'll put them to the test about that. This is a very big challenge. We need employers to get on board. We need governments to lead it. And that's the first step uh, we'll be taking is to try and encourage the government to lead the discussion on this critical question. Okay, let's go back to WA now. Well, as coincidence would have it, Western Australian members had some news recently themselves. The government has announced it's shutting down both its coal-fired power plants in Collie. The Muger Power and the Collie Power Station will both be gone by 2030, and with them, a 1,000 jobs. 200 kilometres south of Perth is the town of Collie, and for 125 years, they've mined coal and produced power for the state. There are currently two state-owned coal-fired power stations supplying West Australian households, Mooja and Collie A. They're supplied by Premier Coal. Greg Busson is the secretary of the WA District of the Union. The state entity, which is Synergy, runs two power stations in town. So you've got um, Mooja, which has stage C and stage D, and Collie A power station. Two years ago, the government announced the gradual closures of the two units at stage C, which would be October 2024 and October 2026. But there was no announcement on dates for either Collie A or Muja D, which those announcements came this Tuesday. So that'll be October 2027 and 
October 2029 for Muja D. All those assets, uh, the coal gets solely supplied by Premier Coal, which is owned by Yang Coal. While some of the workers at certain units or turbines at Muja have known for a while their jobs would go, for those at Collier, recent announcements have given them an end date for the first time, 2027. The announcement also confirmed Muja would completely close in 2029. So how are they feeling? Well, Wayne Loxton works at Muja Power Station at the coal handling plant, which receives the coal from the mine and gets it up into the station. We knew it was coming, but not so quickly. So it was more of a surprise and a shock. Uh, and the, the, I think the blokes have accepted it because we knew it was coming. It just came a bit earlier. Some members are worried about the next generation. Neil Wood is a fourth-generation coal miner who works at Premier Coal. He's most worried about his 12-year-old son, Dylan. Yeah, as I said, we've got a 12-year-old boy in seven years' time when the power station shut down. He'll be 19 and just worried about what future that he's going to have and he'll probably have to leave the town to um, sustain work in whatever he wishes to do because there won't be the jobs here for him. Wayne's also most worried about the younger generation who aren't nearing the end of their career. Yeah, I think a lot of the younger ones are a bit worried. They were in a job they thought they'd be there for life or a really long time, but obviously that's been cut short. So I think a lot of people are reassessing buying houses, maybe even having families or travelling. Um, but a lot of people will probably tend to go up north. That doesn't suit everyone, so it's, it's just on an individual basis. But a lot of young people are... I would say they're, they're pretty worried. Now, along with the announcement, has come money. There is a large monetary package that covers some $600 million. 300 of that is allocated to the decommissioning of the power station. So there will be jobs for some of the workers for the two or three years it'll take to decommission the sites. There's also a pool of money for retraining and redundancy plans. And there's also a $220 million industry attraction package to um, try and attract um, a large-scale industry into town to replace those jobs on like terms and conditions. And already the government has been working to turn Collie into a tourist hub, with the Mural Trail in town, a network of giant murals on a walking track, and mountain bike trails outside town. They're also attracting other industries. One is international graphite, which makes graphite for use in batteries, for electric vehicles and so on. The first half of the Just Transition has worked really well. They put their heart and soul into diversifying the economy. So as you can see, probably see all the, um, the murals around town and the, the uh, tourism side of the town is going fantastic. We're developing uh, international graphite have moved into town. They've done a trial plant that looks like that's going to go gangbusters and is going to um, increase in size. Um, we've got a canaponics, so um, growing medicinal cannabis. Um, is setting up in town. I drove past the site the other day and the, the structure of their um, greenhouses was all going up. But the other thing the government has done is develop individual transition plans with some workers, including paying for university and TAFE courses. This is because they've been working on transition plans for part of their workforce since 2020, because certain units at Muja were already slated to be shut down. Some are retraining as paramedics or firefighters. Yeah, we have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with uh, the Synergy person who's controlling all of the transition. Our manager sits in on this. Um, and then you just put forward what you're interested in. 
Um, they've got a list, a huge list of a lot of training and it seems to be going well. Uh, most of it's done during work hours. You may have to go to a course out of work, which blokes don't seem to mind. And it's fully covered by Synergy. We don't pay. There's no cost to us. Synergy owns the two power stations and the government owns Synergy. So the transition planning process has been helped by the fact the power stations are still government owned. Yeah, uh, Synergy have done quite well. We had to fight being a contractor to get under the same umbrella, but they're full on at the moment training the whole coal plant from a worker like me operations to maintenance to staff. Uh, and there's a, a number of courses we can do from driving trucks to computer courses. So I do give Synergy credit. They are coming across with this transition really, really well. Although members did have to fight to make sure those from long-term contractors from outfits like Monodelphus were included. Yeah, I work for Monodelphus in the coal plant. We run the complete coal plant. There's probably four major contractors on site. We weren't initially included in the just transition clause. Uh, we had to go to the unions. They suggested we do a, uh, a petition. So every contractor on site signed this petition. We forwarded that to Synergy. And within probably three weeks, they come on board and now we're full on as a Synergy worker, even though we are contractors, we are completely under the same umbrella. Other workers, like Steve Roney, have been working on their own transition plans. He's worked at Premier Coal for 10 years. Currently, he's training new operators. His partner, Rachel, also works at the mine as an operator. My wife's a chef. We had a, a bit of a, a medium-term plan to uh, set her up in town with a, a business, a, a cafe. Uh, taking advantage of the, um, the new tourism market in the, in the region. Jobs were available at Premier and uh, we decided to, to transition her across to mining for a bit to try to raise the capital to, to start this new venture. Um, so yeah, this um, announcement is, is probably putting a, a timeline on that for us. Some, like Neil Wood, believe the government should be working harder to find new industries. We had a hydrogen mob here, Muja Fuels, that wanted to set up a trial plant, but the government knocked it on the head. Some other plans have been put forward, like using the region's steep topography and mine voids to develop so-called deep storage pumped hydro. Greg Busson also says he and his members need to maintain the pressure on the government. We don't want the government now to sit on their hands and wait now that they've set the clock running. We have to work double time to get something in place so we don't undo all the good work we've done in the past. Tony Maher sees what's happening in WA as a sign of how quickly things are changing and an example of some positive initiatives that can be built on nationally. The changes are more predictable in WA because they've got that reserve supply of gas. From a policy point of view, they're in the box seat. You know, in terms of the impact on our regions, it's potentially devastating, but there has been a lot of work done in WA and uh, that's to be commended. And that's the challenge for us on the East Coast is to develop uh, some sort of transition authority that can oversee the redeployment of workers and the diversification of economies. Greg Busson is also hopeful the new Albanese government will develop national initiatives and not just leave it to the states. The new federal government seemed to have a um, want to get involved and um, to assist. So Collie is not a loner in this thing. What we've seen is happening on the East Coast and uh, the announcement this week of uh, Mount Arthur Coal. 
I think there needs to be a national authority set up for transition so that, you know, fully funded that can offer assistance to either states in the first place, but then offer financial support and uh, structural support for transitions for all workers um, around Australia. Tony says just transition is talked about a lot, but most places aren't getting it right. It's about getting workers, governments and the private sector involved. We've looked at industry restructuring all over the world, um, had independent uh, researchers look at it, and the gold standard is Germany. I mean, they were determined not to leave any worker or community behind. And so every worker got redeployed to equivalent jobs, mostly in the industry they were working in over a 30-year period. And if they weren't available, equivalent jobs elsewhere. And, uh, and there were billions of euros, uh, tens of billions of euros, invested in the host communities. That sets the gold standard. That's what Australia should do. Um, and uh, we've been pushing that for many years. Um, and getting the attention of governments is now possible. But getting the attention of employers and cooperation from employers is the big challenge. Um, the same employers um, cooperate with unions and governments in Europe and refuse to do so in Australia. And therein lies our challenge. General President Tony Ma, ending this month's episode of the Mining and Energy Union podcast. I'm Tim Brunero. Talk to you next time.